I want to get going. If you would take your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 16. Turn to Luke chapter 16. As most of you know, I have two boys. They are no longer in our home. But uh, <laughs> that was not myself or Trina. I love my kids. But when Joel was younger, he, uh, he, was, he took after his father in a few ways. One of them was his affinity toward chocolate and candy. And he loved M&M's peanuts. And one time, I can't remember where we were, but he, uh, I, he asked, Dad, I want to get some M&M's. So I gave him, I think, probably five bucks. And I was thinking he was going to go get one of those little bags, you know, buck bag. Well, what he did is he went and he got a big bag. But brought me back to change. And I thought, hmm. Okay. Well, he starts eating them as any young kid does, and he's, he's just putting them away. And, uh, and you know how kids are. They, they, they really enjoy it. And so all of a sudden, he's got this chocolate ring around his mouth, and his, his chubby little fingers have got chocolate on them. And, and he's got this little pile in front of him. And so I go, hey, bub, I just slide a few of those over to dad. And he kind of looks at me with this look on his face, and his chubby little fingers begin to grab the top of that M&M's bag and kind of close it up. <laughs> and he says, no. I said, dude, just, just give me a few, man. Just, just help the old man out. Come on, give me some. And he looks at me, and he goes, no, Dad, they're mine. <laughs> Jamie used to do that all the time with his French fries at McDonald's. And, and th that's kind of immature, isn't it? And that's, that's a kid. See, what, what my boys didn't understand is, number one, I, I, I bought them the M&M's and the French fries. <laughs> and somehow that didn't register real well. Secondly, I, I was strong enough to take them from them if I wanted to. And, and thirdly, I could rain down M&M's and French fries and anything just about that they wanted if they just would let me and trust me. Well... When it comes to resources, our goods, our money, our stuff, don't we all have, some of us here have a, have a pretty good-sized pile of M&Ms, don't we? Others of us probably have more of a medium size, been blessed with a medium size, and others of us have been blessed with a smaller size. Now, there's nothing wrong with any of those sizes. It's just for whatever reasons, that's where we are in life. But isn't it true that God oftentimes will say to us, slide some M&Ms over to me. And how often do we go, we kind of get our tight little chubby fingers, no, no, this is mine. And there's something about probably a lack of spiritual maturity that takes place when that happens. It is imperative that we remember God owns it all. He gave it to us. He's big enough that he could take it from us. And most importantly, he could rain it upon us at any point. More blessing and more M&Ms and resources and goods than, than we could ever even hold on to. 
Well, as we start this new year, I want to take one week and look at stewardship. Usually I do a three or four week series on this. I talk about the things about debt, getting out of debt, debt reduction, and just how to steward your finances and take care of it. And then I always conclude with giving. I want to talk about giving going into this year. It's only going to be one week because our teaching series now are pretty much set through next September. But if you're a guest here today, I want to welcome you. And if this is your first time, maybe your first or second or third time, I, I, I probably know what you're thinking. Ah, crud. You know, I, I go to church, the first, it's a New Year's resolution maybe, or maybe you're looking for a new church, and wouldn't you know it, I show up, and the dude's talking about money. Yeah, just, that's church for you. Well, let me just, just calm you a little bit and say that I really don't talk a lot about money here. I need to talk about it more because this is what I understand. It's not for the benefit and blessing of this church. It's for the benefit and blessing of your life. And as I go through, I hope to be able to unfold and unpack that a little more for you. And maybe some of you would be thinking... Oh, first Sunday here, second, third Sunday here. Maybe the church is struggling financially. No, no, we're doing really well. I made a commitment a number of years ago that I would not talk about finances in seasons of need. I would only talk about finances this way that I'm doing it today when we were in, in blessing. Because I believe this, where God is at work, where God is doing things, money is never a problem. And I, and I will say that for probably the last 10 years here, money has never been a major problem. So this isn't some kind of let's kick it up and you know, take care of the church kind of thing. This is really about you as we head into a new year. So if you're a guest, I trust that you won't check out, but you'll sit back and at least learn something today and understand that when this church talks about finances, how we deal with it. And, and uh, take care of our finances. Probably the next thing I'd say is don't panic. What I'm going to talk about today is clearly in the Bible. Some of the, great, some of the great financial principles that you learn out there in the business world, in personal finance places, they're straight from the Bible. They just don't give you verses and uh, quotations from the scriptures, but the Bible teaches very clearly about finances. Not just giving, but about finances across the board. But the reason I'm talking about this today, understand that what I'm talking about is in the Bible. One-sixth of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the place where Jesus is, is shown and revealed, besides Revelation, one-sixth of the Gospels talk about money and possessions, one out of every six verses. Twelve out of the 38 parables that Jesus taught deal with finances and resources. 2,000, over 2,000 verses in the Bible deal with money and possessions. And you go, Wow. That's where we get all these televangelists asking for money. No, that's not. But the Bible knows this, that there's probably no issue that is, strikes a greater chord or is as close to the heart of every man and woman as their finances. See, a study a few years ago revealed that the average American adult male spends 50% of his waking time dealing with money-related issues. Could be how to make more, how to spend less, what to do with what he has. And no wonder God's word addresses this. No wonder Jesus speaks to this issue so much. Because he knows that you've got to deal with where the people are. 
And he knew that this is, that, that money is one of those things that has the greatest opportunity to be a great blessing in our life or an incredible curse. But it is, it's for your benefit. Listen, I could literally line up, I don't know how many, but I could line up many, 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 many Creeksiders, and sometimes we've done it, but I could line up many Creeksiders to come up on this stage and give testimony to, yeah, I started a month ago, I started a year ago, I started 20 years ago, and this is what God's done for me. I could do that. It's funny, after... Uh, for service. I, I forget to take the offering half the time, receive the offering half the time, and I've always got Creeksiders throw a wave in their money. Come on, pastor, don't forget again. <laughs> you know, I, I love that spirit because there are people in this church that understand full well what God has done for them, taught them how to be a better steward, how to release their grimy, greedy, little gripping hands from the stuff of this world and to be a giver and to be a releaser because they trust God. So, relax. Now, and if you're concerned and nervous, what I want you to do right now is you grab that wallet or you grab that money clip and you hide that sucker. I mean, you just put it somewhere. Give it to your spouse. Well, that might not be a good idea. I don't know what your spouse is like. But if you're concerned, hide it. Put it somewhere. Because I'm going to talk about money today. So, we're going to start in chapter 16 of the Gospel of Luke, beginning at verse 1. Now, this is probably one of the more difficult parables uh, to interpret and to understand um, what Jesus is trying to communicate because it looks like it's teaching one thing, but you have to understand that Jesus wouldn't teach that, so you've got to look at the principles that he's really trying to teach from it. So I'm going to help you understand that uh, this morning. In the context of where it is found, it's right after Luke chapter 15. If you know your Bible very well, you'll know that Luke chapter 15 is the story, the parables, the three parables of the lost coin and the lost sheep and the prodigal son. Very beautiful parables that Jesus teaches us about the value of people and have the right attitudes toward people who are far from God. But then he comes to chapter 16 and he's going to tell two parables that really have to do with having the right attitude toward money and finances so that you are the one that has a grip on it, not it has a grip on you. So let's read. Now, Jesus told his disciples, uh, chapter 16, verse 1, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So what we have here is we have an owner and a steward or manager of his estate or his assets. Very common in the Middle East for those who were well-to-do. Oftentimes, they would have estates or they would have things that they would have in their possession. They would be owners of it, and then they would leave it to a steward or a manager to take care of it while they went off and did business in other places. Very common thing. But there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and he asked him, he's calling him to accountability here, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. Basically, he's getting a pink slip here. He says, you know, there's been something going on. Verse 3 says, the manager said to himself, hmm, what shall I do now? I don't have a job. My master's taking my job away. I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm too ashamed to beg. And so you see here, there's these pregnant pauses probably of, what am I going to do? And then all of a sudden, he gets this wonderful insight. I know what I'll do. 
I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses out there. So what he did is he called in each one of his master's debtors. And he asked the first, well, how much do you owe my master? Well, about 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. Well, the manager steward said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 400. Then he asked the second one, how much do you owe? Well, about 1,000 bushels of wheat, he replied. He said to him, okay, take your bill and, and make it 800. Now, what was happening here, see, it seems like this guy's, you know, kind of slashing and burning on his way out. But what he's probably doing is a couple of things. See, in the Jewish culture, you could not, it was in the Old Testament, they said you could not charge interest for goods, or if you were going to loan somebody something or loan them money or give them some goods and pay over time, you couldn't charge interest or use usury to charge them extra for it. Well, so what these guys would do to get around that is they would either raise the price or like with the olive oil, they would kind of, uh, they, would, they would dilute it down to about 70, 80%, which wouldn't affect it too much. And so they were still making more money on it. So what this guy does is he goes back and instead of cheating these people, he says, listen, this is what I want you to do. Drop your accounts down to what, we really, what you really owe us. So enter the owner. The master owner commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. Now Jesus is teaching this parable. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. So what he's saying there is, Man, make a, learn a lesson from this guy. We have the people in the world that will do whatever they need to do to take care of themselves and to use their finances and to wield their influence for financial purposes now and into the future. That's what Jesus is commending because then he says, that's how the world operates with their own kind. And he says, Wow, what if the people of the light did that? Not acted dishonestly, not shrewdly, but they put the kind of efforts in for kingdom endeavors that the worldly people did for their worldly endeavors. Now from there, he's gonna distill some really important principles about living with finances and how you live with your finances. He says, I want my children of the light to work that way, not dishonestly, but in an honest way, that they would put that kind of effort, mindset, thinking into moving the kingdom endeavors forward. So verse nine, Jesus says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, when that money's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoa. Are you trying to say, Jesus, that we can buy our way into heaven? Because what we No, he's not saying that at all. We'll talk about that in a second. But he is saying, use your stuff here. And here's another principle. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with very much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with very much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? What are the true riches? He's talking about ministry, kingdom endeavors. And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will uh, be devoted to the one and he will despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. 
period. Well, the Pharisees who loved money, these are the religious dudes of the day, who, who loved money, heard all this and they were sneering at Jesus. Literally, they were snubbing him, turning their nose up at him and basically rejecting him. But Jesus knew all this and he said to them, you know, you're the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. The reason he says that is because, see, the Pharisees had a theology of prosperity. They said that, they're, that because they, most of them were well off and well to do, they said, see, we're very spiritual. We're really favored in God's eyes because of our money. And Jesus is not teaching that here, that money is a sign of spirituality. The sign of spirituality isn't that you have it, but it's how you use what you have. But they were parading what they had as a sign of their spirituality. And Jesus says, I'm sorry, that's, that's an abomination to me. So I want to talk a little bit about understanding stewardship this morning. Oh, you know what? I, I, uh, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to take some people out to lunch today. I, I, I don't have, anybody got any cash I can borrow about 50, 60 bucks or something? Anybody? Yep. What are you laughing about? I'm serious. You got some? Now there's a good man. I don't mind, I'm going to tell you this, but this, this service is pretty cheap. <laughs> Thank you, Robert. No, no kidding. You know what? I had a person come up to me after service. I borrowed some money from somebody. Somebody in first service gave me some money. Then somebody come up to me and said, here, Pastor, here's $70. <laughs> and, if, and, if, and if that's not enough, I mean, excuse me, if you already got enough to take those people out to lunch, then just use this and give it to the waiter. Somebody else gave me $357. You guys want to go to Ruth Chris? Well, three of us can go. Thank you, Robert. So I want to talk about the eternal significance that Jesus talks about here. See, Jesus' focus here isn't on the demise of the money and the economic system, although we know that it's going to happen sooner or later. Hey, we've, we've experienced some of that in the last year and a half, haven't we? But see, Jesus' concern isn't about the economic system, but the focus is on the place of the person in the economic system, you and me. Now see, when does that economic system that he's talking about end? Well, for you and me, it ends when we die. Because see, when we get to heaven, there's nothing we're going to be able to take there. You can't fill your pockets Listen, I've done, I don't know, probably over 150 funerals, memorial services. Two things I've never seen. I've never seen a hearse with a U-Haul or a luggage rack. They're just plain. You know why? Because you can't take it with you. When you get to heaven, you're not going to be able to flash your gold card. Uh, Lord, I think I'd like uh, this thing over here. It's just not going to work that way. It all stays behind. But what Jesus wants you to see here, what he's saying is how you handle money here, how you handle the financial resources that God has given you here, it will not make it possible for you to enter into heaven because of it. That's never an issue. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. But it will influence what happens over there with and for you. I don't understand all that, but that's what Jesus teaches. Remember Matthew 25. Remember the person that uh, he was talking about 
uh, the people that were given gifts. One guy was given one gift, one guy was given 10 gifts, one guy was given five gifts. Luke chapter 19, the parable of the pounds, which really is the gifts and what we're given in our life, resources, talents, and all those things, they were all given the same. See, God never expects you and I to do the same things and to produce the same stuff. What he says is, I'm gonna give you this much, whether it's money, time, talent, gifts. And he says, I want you to use what I've given you for the kingdom, and then you're gonna be accountable for that. So we got the guy that had 10 gifts, and, and he multiplied them to 10 more, and Jesus said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. The guy's five, he did it. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. He only did five more. He didn't say, boy, you should have done seven. He said, you'd give five, you brought five in, way to go. But the guy that did one said, I buried it. I was fearful. And then Jesus looks at him and he goes, in this parable, why, you wicked servant, give me that. The guy says, I'm fear- I was fearful of what to do. See, how many of us live in fear with our gifts and our money? instead of learning to use them in the commerce of ministry and out there. So we see here this owner returns and the steward who had full authority over all of his goods and what the master owned, he's now being called to accountability. He was stewarding what was the owner's. Friends, it's the same with you and I. We are stewards of everything in our life. See, Whatever gifts I have from him to do what I do, whatever gifts you have in your life to do what you do, they come from God. You've just got to develop them. Whatever financial resources you make at work, listen, you may think you're pretty sharp, and most of you are, but God's given you the gifts and the desires and the talents to use that, to make it. Everything, the very breath that you get up in the morning and breathe makes it possible for you to work these things out. Everything is systemic to God. Everything. That's why Psalm 24.1 says this, the earth and everything in it belongs to the Lord and the world and its people belong to him. Everything. You know what that means? Everything. Oh, thanks Robert for the cash to cover lunch today. You know why he was so quick to give that up? Because I'd given it to him. Now, the other people in first service, I, did, I gave it to one person, but, 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 but why did he get up so quick? Because you know what? He knew who it belonged to. So, yeah, sure, I'll give you 50 bucks. See, when, when we understand that everything belongs to God, then it's not so difficult to give it up. It begins to deal with that internal conflict of, okay, is this mine? Is it God? What am I going to do? Pop quiz. How many of you are good math? Good math. See, you made $1,000 last month. How much do you give to God? How much is God's? Ah, you are smart. That's good. You're smarter than first service. <laughs> yeah. See, some of us, oh, okay, let me see. 10% of 1,000 will be, I'll give it. I'll bring 100 bucks is God's. No, 1,000 of it's his. He gives us 900 and says, what I want you to do is to give me 100. Because I want to teach you about being a giver, about being obedient to what I've called my people to do over the centuries. See, this man was not being commended for being dishonest or misusing the master's resources. But it's almost as if this master goes, boy, you gotta like this guy's ingenuity, don't you? That is thinking, and that's 
pretty sharp because he was making a plan and using his abilities for future planning and purposes to take care of himself. And Jesus says, that's what I want. I want the people of my kingdom. I want my people who follow me to do the same thing. I want them to be so focused on not only the temporal, but the eternal, that they live that way. They're planning for what's coming into the future. Well, maybe you're thinking today, oh man, I I really haven't been a good steward of the way I've used my time, the gifts that God's given me, and, and my resources, my finances. See, the good news today, loved ones, is this. God gives us a chance, just like the owner gave this guy a chance. God gives us a chance to deal with our accounting systems now, to take care of it, to move it forward. Someone said it this way, though I cannot go back and make a brand new start, anyone can start from now and make a brand new end. And every one of us can do that in this room. What the steward did, and each of us stewards are called to do today, to establish an eternal significance and influence with our resources. Well, there's there's the temporal influence that is involved in this as well. I'm not all totally sure how this all works out. You know, we kind of have the schmoozers over in D.C. You know, you got the lobbyists who are working, the politicians. And I, I don't think it's all about this, but it's a little bit different. But I think we can kind of get some of the same principle from it. See, we can use money and finances and resources, can't we, to influence and produce ministry. Well, what do you mean, Terry? Uh, someone asked me not too long ago, they weren't really challenging, they were just asking, you know, Terry, we, we give a lot of money to the schools here in our community. And we do the crab feed and we do some other things and we help and we do this. Give a lot of money. Is that really the best use of our resources? I kind of thought for a second. And I said, Absolutely. Because what that is doing, and if this language bothers you, I'm sorry, but it buys us influence. You tell me when a school has a problem, God forbid, but something like a Columbine or anything like that, or just some kind of major problem, major issue, who are they going to call? Who? They're going to call Creekside. See, so many schools now are opposed to having church people come on or church groups or whatever. But we have influence. We have open doors on some of our schools because we've not bought, but we've blessed our way in and used our resources to help them. There is a temporal and an eternal work going on with our finances. And if we want to call it buying, I'm good at that. Because that's what God gives it to us for. Use it, leverage it, do commerce with it for his higher purposes. See, Jesus said in Matthew 16, 21, uh, 20, 19 through 20, he says, don't store up treasures on earth where moth and dust and thieves will break in and steal it. Set up for yourselves treasures in heaven where nothing can destroy it, but there will be an ongoing and growing account 
See, you, you've heard the statement, you can't take it with you, but, but you can send it ahead. Oh, what do you mean? Well, again, I'm not totally sure, but I think this makes sense. See, well, when you give your tithe and your offerings to the church, when you give toward the missions harvest offering, when you involve yourself in the crab feed, the CYC silent auction, when you give to people to go to Mexico and do missions work, you're, you're making an investment in heaven. Well, well, Tara, are you saying there's some kind of bank account up there that I'm going to be able to leverage and maybe I get there at the pearly gates and all of a sudden I'm going to get a debit card and be able to just kind of walk around and use my debit card because I did this and that and the other? No, I don't think so. See, God's not impressed with money. I mean, think about, think about heaven itself. What does it say the streets of heaven are paved in? Gold. How many of you go out today and try and grab a chunk of asphalt? Nobody has even thought of that, have you? So the, 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 one of the lowest things in heaven is one of the things that we pursue the most down here on earth, gold. How many of you would like to have a couple of chunks of gold right now, a couple of pounds of it? Yeah, you say, oh man. People pursue gold because it's resource. Heaven's paved in that. It's a totally inverted value system. The very thing we value, we're going to be walking on. We're not going to notice it. See, what's the most valuable thing in heaven? Besides God himself, it's people. And when he talks about this eternal significance and this temporal influence, everything is geared toward people. Because that's what's eternal, and that's what God is going to be blessing and moves his heart for heaven. And that's what needs to be moving our heart. People. That's our highest value. And we're going to give an account for that someday. That's why we give. You know, I, I told you that we, we, don't have a, we haven't had a lot of financial issues here. We've been blessed. I believe the reason is for a few reasons. Number one, God is faithful. Number two, Creeksiders are faithful. And number three, we give to missions like crazy. And number four, we give into our community. And I believe because we've done that, God says, I am going to give you more because you've been faithful with less. And there's nobody in this room that's ever heard me ask for a special offering for something for this church. Probably in the last, the last time we ever did that was when we refurbished this room. God is faithful, loved ones, to his word. See, we're not just talking today about giving, but it's about investing. So imagine in heaven, when we send that account forward, what happens as we give here? You know what? You don't, I, I try and update you now on like what we're doing with our harvest offering, where it's going. 40, almost $49,000 in a down economic time in November. That's what we received here one day, one offering. $49,000. I know of a guy, I was reading his website a couple months ago. He has a church of 6,000 people. Their offering on one day was 27,000. And I don't say, I just say, that's what God's done here. It's not trying to compare, I'm just trying to say, God has done a good thing here through you. So what's gonna happen in heaven? This is how the accounting system of heaven works, I believe. We're gonna be up there, no debit cards, no gold cards, 
But you know what you're going to get to see? Somehow, I believe, because we're going to be there forever, for eternity, for infinity and beyond. We're, we're going to be up there, and all of a sudden we're going to go, well, here's some people that were saved because of Creekside Church. They gave in a harvest offering, and it reached these people over here. Would you like to meet some of the people that you helped? How did you get into heaven? Well, you know there was this missionary in Mexico, and the people support, blah, blah, blah. How'd you get now? Well, you know, there's these missionaries that in the Middle East, their name is like the Scots or something that Creekside supports. And see, I think heaven is going to be a lot of just rejoicing of what God did down here in the temporal and the things that we never see that our resources do for the kingdom. Now we'll get to experience what they did in the eternal. That's the heavenly accounting system, I believe. I will guarantee you this. When you get to heaven, you'll never go up there and go, you gotta be kidding me, God. You gotta be kidding me, man. I, I, I gave to the 2009 harvest offering and this is what I get. I could have got me a 60-inch plasma TV. I could have bought a new car because of that $500 I gave to the harvest. You gotta be kidding me, is it? You're not, that's not gonna happen in heaven. Can I tell you what's gonna happen? If we were cognitively able, we would never regret what we gave. If we were able to, it would always be, oh God, I wish I would have, I wish I would have invested more. Because God never disappoints. God never disappoints.